Hello, everybody. Simone here. You're hearing a special bonus episode for Polygon Show listeners uh, because this month our entertainment editor, Matt Patches, went to South by Southwest in Austin. I'm very jealous. Uh, And he did a panel with some really cool people, namely one. Amy Hennig, who is a video game luminary. She was a creative director for the Uncharted series. Awesome. Kiki Wolfkill, an executive producer at 343 Industries with a long history uh, with the Halo franchise. And Addie Shankar, showrunner of Netflix's Castlevania series. For those of you who are actually at the panel, maybe some of you are out there. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. That was really cool. I hope you had a good time. I bet you did. Tell everyone how, what a good time you had. For everyone uh, else who didn't make it to South by Southwest, you get to hear the full discussion here on this podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, just a quick note, there might be some audio quality things, particularly in the beginning, but it is still very much worth a listen because so many cool people talking in one place. Also, 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 as a heads up, there will still be a Polygon show this week, um, and I'm going to record it right now. So, talk to you later. Hello. Hello. I'm Matt Patches. I'm a senior editor at Polygon, Box Media's entertainment brand. Thank you to uh, TCL for sponsoring both our Polygon Arcade. If you haven't been there, it's amazing upstairs. And of course, this panel as well. Um, I came on board recently to, to help Polygon kind of expand the purview of games into movies and TV and internet culture. And there was an obvious reason. The audience, you guys, are all experiencing all of this on the same platforms. And because the lines between these mediums are totally blurring. This is a, it's, we're all in each other's businesses. And so today we're going to talk about that blur. We're going to go deep with some really brilliant people um, who I'm going to welcome on stage right now. So first up, I want you to meet uh, Adi Shankar. He is the producer for Netflix's animated adaptation of Castlevania. Adi. Uh, she's the video director and writer of, uh, her work includes Legacy of Kane and Uncharted. She's set to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at Game Developers Choice Awards later this month, Amy Hennig. And uh, she's the head of Transmedia and Entertainment at 343 Industries, which oversees the Halo franchise. She's also the executive producer of Showtime's upcoming Halo live action series, Kiki Wolfkill. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, everybody. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Um, I know. I want to dive right in. You know, gaming, in the most obvious sense, separates itself from film because of, of choice and the hands-on experience. And I'm going to steal something that Amy talks about a lot, which is games as conquest, right? You have to accomplish something. Right. Um, and, but the big, big games that you and Kiki have worked mm-hmm. on, Amy, that are very narrative driven, they are similar to movies in that way. So I'm curious, Amy and Kiki, if there's a behind the scene moment on the making of an Uncharted game or the making of a Halo game mm-hmm. where you discovered what the language of gaming really was, something that you couldn't do in a movie, a piece yeah. of story, a piece of action that could only happen in a game. Sure, and look, I can probably even point to better examples than other people's games, but um, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, look, I mean, it, there isn't one moment because you're learning as you go. I mean, we always said, like, with games, it's almost like we are filmmakers in the early days of film when, you know, Sergei Eisenstein's trying to figure out the language of, of montage and editing. That's what we have to do in games, right? Um, but the thing is, when you discover that <clears throat> what, what our medium can do uh, that linear media can't is 
um, put you in the protagonist's shoes. So you can feel the story in a way that you, you can get empathically through the, you know, a lin so through linear media, but it's, it's a much more, it's a much deeper experience um, when you're feeling it. So the thing we often pointed to in Uncharted 2 was, you know, when you had to carry the wounded cameraman and like all your mechanics went out the window and you were slowed down and there's all this pressure and you had your companion sort of pulling you in two different moral directions. You, you could put that scene in a film, but you wouldn't feel it the way you did on the sticks. And Kiki, I feel like you have a, a similar kind of first yeah. person perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, Tammy's point, it's not a moment. Uh, there's a couple things that strike me with the question. One, early when we were thinking about Halo 4 and we were thinking about sort of Master Chief's journey and story, right? We had a lot of conversations around really who is Master Chief to players? Is he a vessel? Is he a weapon? Is he a fully developed character? And, you know, I think unique to, to Chief and, and other characters is he really is this mix of story that we've built around him and what the player invests in him, which is an interesting challenge as we go into linear media and live action when you're taking a character that people feel they already own, mm -hmm. right? And half of that character is someone they've brought into it. And so anything you do is potentially wrong based on <laughs> the personality of that player. But it is really interesting with these characters because they are all about what you allow the player to put into him or her. And, and that's an interesting challenge and also unique to games. That's what's so interesting about games, this idea of ownership. Like, by playing it, you know the game the best because you've navigated spaces the way you navigated them. And the, the game can only tell you so much, perhaps. And Eddie, I think about what you do, translating Castlevania for a Netflix series. You know, how, how do you deal with ownership? How do you deal with putting something that you loved playing in the way that you played it into something universal and story first. Well, I I feel like this is this is the an inherently like the, the nexus of the divergence between uh, video games as a storytelling medium and and film and TV yeah. as as a storytelling medium. Um, I feel like the part of your brain that's activated is is slightly different. So uh, when you're watching a film or watching a, a, a TV show, it's kind of like sitting around the campfire with your friends and being told a story, right? And if it's, and if it's a well-told story, you're, you're hyper-engaged, but it's passive. You're sitting around, around a campfire being told a story. Video games is, is more like sports. It's more of like a, a, a sporting event, a sporting event where you get to actively participate in, but it's using a different, different part of the, the, it's activating a different part of the brain. So just keeping that in mind, right? Um, and, I didn't answer your question. I gave more of like a, a philosophical, <laughs> philosophical diatribe. You um, went macro, and now we're going right. Micro. And that was kind now of you what had to do to, to sound smart, but um, <laughs> it got there. But and now think uh, about adapting sports to movies, and that's there, there are biopics. But there are there are biopics, right? There are uh, uh, there are biopics, and there are movies about sports. When you watch a good movie about sports, or a great TV show about sports, like Friday Night Lights, right? Like. The best moments aren't, aren't when the dude throws the football and Tim Riggins catches it, right? It, it's, it's about the drama leading up to the moment. So uh, can I have a show of hands if anyone has actually seen Castlevania in this room? All right, hey. cool, 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 cool. So the actual Castlevania video game uh, involves usually a Belmont rolling into a castle and fighting a bunch of monsters, right? So it's like fighting your way up a tower, 
which is a lot like a film called Dread, which you should all check out on streaming. <laughs> um, Very much a video game movie, even if yes, it's not based on a video game. Which was the, the scheme back in the day. But um, So Castlevania, the video game is about fighting your way up this tower and, and eventually fighting Dracula or one of Dracula's uh, minions. Castlevania, the show, that all happens in half of a 22-minute episode. Right? So, so everything else is, is building the backstory of, of why. Right. You right? finally get the space to invest in these characters that you've projected on. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't want to get into, I was about to say something, but I'm like, I'm going to get into spoiler territory. So I'm going to stop. That's no, 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 no. Okay, so like, so, so I got a call from, from uh, an executive at Netflix. Okay kind of freaking out, saying, hey, the, the, the show is doing really, really well, like is, you know, blown way past our expectations. We thought you were a little nuts when you came in and pitched it to us. Um, but now you've killed Dracula. Um, and I said, look, I, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> I, I said, you know, it's not that, it's Castlevania, right? So the, it, it's, it's not about the end result, it's the journey that gets you there. That's, that's where we can really build the drama. Do you get what I'm saying without spoiling? Yeah. 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 But it's also about using the established language. It's about taking what you love and creating fluid story. But then I, then I think, Amy, about you worked on a Star Wars game for a little mm -hmm. bit. That's a very established language. And the logic of the world is burned. So how do you... How do you engineer something new and something fresh to that experience? What goes into, what can you use in game language to do something new with Star Wars? Especially since there are also many Star Wars video games. Sure, right. But I mean, look, uh, the, the games where we're trying to um, homage cinema and we're taking our verbs and our landmarks and our story structure and all that stuff from cinema and then reconstructing it as an interactive experience, uh, Uncharted is that, and Star Wars was, was that, right? So that's very different than going, okay, I'm gonna have a side-scroller that you know, has a couple of mechanics in it, right? You know, I mean, this is kind of you know, your creative challenge too, is like, how do you round this thing out? Matter of fact, probably it's a very similar challenge to go, okay, well, what, you know, what are the core elements of this thing, and how, how do we honor them with inside the language of, of a game? So, you know, for Uncharted, obviously I looked at Indiana Jones, I looked at old Pulp Adventures, I, you know, I pulled them apart, I figured out what were all the, what were all the tropes in a good sense, right? Um, and then how could that be, become our toolbox, right? So same thing with Star Wars. Um, um, but the thing is, again, how do you then put it on the sticks, which is what we would always sort of call it, like what's the experience on the sticks? And so, just, I mean, I've talked about this publicly, so I don't think I'm oversharing, but like uh, with Star Wars, the, bigger, the biggest difference between what we were doing on Uncharted and what we were doing on Star Wars is uh, two huge key differences in Star Wars. Um, well, one, three. One is that they cut away from the protagonist, which Indiana Jones doesn't really do that much, and so neither did Uncharted. Um, but it uh, is about an ensemble of characters uh, versus you know companions. They're actually co-protagonists, and so we needed to honor the fact that, like, how does it feel if, you're, if you are playing the Death Star Escape? to jump back and forth between playing Obi-Wan and playing C-3PO and playing, you know, Han, Luke, and Chewie, right? And you would have gotten to play a C-3PO. Well, we weren't making that game, but that's, that's the analogy is I true. I want that game. Yes, 
right? Um, and the other thing is how improvisational it has to be. If you look at all the ways these, these underdogs who are always outmatched and outgunned uh, solve problems, it's because they use you know, the things at hand in clever ways. Um, so again, you take those things which are like, these are the principles of this movie or this show or this whatever, and then you go, okay, so how is that a game mechanic, right? How can you feel that rather than just watch it? And I assume that Halo has to do this every time in a way. Yeah, I mean, for us it's a little different because the, the story and the gameplay came up together, right? So it's, it's let's say, TV show aside for the moment. Um, from a, a game development perspective, it's really much more about um, how much are we... Is there an echo? Uh, no, you're it's, fine. It's just in my head. It's <laughs> jet lag. Yeah, jet lag. Uh, you know, how much do we take the player by the hand, knowing that our mechanic is very much based on giving the player a sandbox to play in to decide to play in the way that he or she wants to, right? So how you fit narrative into that is, is really interesting and a little less, um, uh, I think, directed. And there are times when we've tried to make it more directed or less, but at the end of the day, we have to sort of trust in the world building and what people understand about the character, and, and also a lot of the character development we do outside of the game, knowing that that mechanic and that freedom and the player feeling like they can explore the world is, is really the priority. Is there a specific moment in one of the Halo games that you're thinking of when you're, you're talking about over-directing, like being almost like too much like a movie or being too much like a game that the story gets lost? Well, what I would say, I, I think, and, and part of this is a, a product of just sort of technology, let's say, you know, five or six years ago, right? The idea that we would have to jump out to a cinematic, right? Even that idea of needing to switch perspective from first to third person and how that felt and how that felt for you as a player to sort of be jerked out of your character, right? But cinematics were, and that third person view, were our most effective way of moving the story forward, right? And so that balance and how much you could experience in first person as a player versus how much you had to experience outside of the, of the main character and the player um, is probably where that was most impactful. Is there a worry about being, you know, as the languages evolve and um, commerce sways everything, um, in your experiences, can, can studios whether you work for one or whether you work with them, be too precious about what defines a franchise? Does um, the identity of a game need to be broken? <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? What's, what's that reaction? Well, it's easy to drink your own Kool-Aid, yeah. right? And, and it's important to always keep that audience in mind, right? Because as much as you're bringing an audience, especially, you know, Halo, given, um, you know, it's a, 18-year-old franchise, you're bringing players with you, have been with you from the beginning, but you also really want to onboard new players, right? And so you have to be really aware if you're, if you're so deep in your canon all the time, it becomes really unapproachable um, for new people to come in mm -hmm. into your franchise. Well, Addie, how do you feel about kind of the same topic, like working with a studio? Are they protective of their IP, for lack of a better like, word. Like, are you yeah. talking about like movie studios or? Or, or just no, I'm the the game the game studios that you work with. The, you're, if you're adapting Castlevania or you're working on the Devil IP May Cry player. or something, how are, you know Devil May Cry just had a new game come out. That game has a clear identity in the eyes of players and right. why it's popular. How much do you have to preserve that, and how much do you get to break it? Without getting like too inside baseball on it, like it's interesting. I, 
So I've gotten creative, like full carte blanche creative control on, on all the things. And there's, so yeah, there's Devil May Cry and there's like other, a few other um, big conglomerate game companies that I, that, that I work with and I've gotten this, this creative control. So it's not, I don't feel like video game companies are too precious about their IP. I think Hollywood are just, you know, like it, it was full of like kind of sketchy people and like <laughs> Hollywood is full, full of sketchy people. Yeah, and I think like all I, all rights holders, whether you're talking about a book or a video game or anything, they were they were they were they were right to be cautious. Mm-hmm. What, what what are you thinking of when you're when you're saying that? What are you worried about? What do you mean? Like what am I worried about? Well, like, you're talking about sketchy people in Hollywood. <laughs> you're talking about game studios being worried. What what? I mean, you were working on a Castlevania movie, like a big big movie, or you were thinking. Well, about no, I was I was I was approached. No, no, I was approached. Made, so so when when no. I, and I walked, I walked from it because look, I, I think. I don't want to turn this into a Hollywood uh, railing session, right? But there were some 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 actual flaws in the way it was structured. And I think, look, a lot of this is now public knowledge, like you know, post Me Too movement. So we don't really need to like tread that um, that part of uh, this equation. But there was a level of hubris at which um, a lot of this was 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 approached because for for decades. For decades, movies were like the preeminent art form in the world, right? So if you ran a movie studio, you were like kind of, and, and also like the Hollywood studio system controlled distributions, right? So, so pre-YouTube, pre-internet, like they controlled the technology, they controlled the, the global distribution to get a, to get a, a project out there. And um, they also contrain, uh, controlled the marketing uh, uh, mechanism, which created movie stars, and they controlled all the movie stars. So. Like they kind of had a monopoly when it came to 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 adapting something and 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 pushing it out globally, right? The internet has since decimated that entire mechanism. But pre decimation, pre Me Too movement, pre um, uh, curtain being lifted and people looking back and seeing, I'm going to make a Wizard of Oz reference, but I'm going to butcher it. So I'm just going to say Wizard of Oz <laughs> reference. Um, like pre all this stuff. No, I, I don't think I don't think any rights holder was ever too precious or too too protective. I think uh, in the instances where they weren't, we then got every video game adaptation that was ever made, or every book that was you know completely butchered or everything because you guys get the point, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you get the point. You get what I'm saying, like. The thing I would add really quickly as the IP holder, and we have a great partner in Showtime, um, the, the interesting challenge for us has been what we do let go of. And it's not, you know, I think we're able to be really protective, which is great, but it's also been a really eye-opening and a great learning curve. So Frank O'Connor is my creative partner at 343, and we kind of work through every single day what parts of canon we should look at through a different lens because we can just tell a better story, and we have the opportunity to tell a better story around some of these characters and events um, with the television show that we can't tell in the same way with the game. And it's, you know, I think that we're really protective from the very beginning and starting to sort of understand the art form more of what the television show needs has really changed sometimes how we think about how closely we hold some of the canon and and makes you really distill down what is the most important part of our stories. Is it a specific name or a date, or is it the integrity of a character, um, or what that character brings to a viewer or player? 
And so it has caused some really interesting reevaluation on our part of what we hold um, really dearly and, and what we sort of let go of to interpret differently. Well, to just to piggyback off that, you know, there was a long development with Peter Jackson and Neil Blomkamp about making a Halo movie at some point, and Neil Blomkamp, who did District 9, um, shot footage that exists because you've got, 343 used it as a marketing tool because it looked really cool. Yeah. Um, but that was a long time ago, and I wonder how much you and the company have learned about what Halo should look like in live action because I think Halo is so clear in our minds the cinematic language, the game language, um, and it doesn't necessarily look like the gritty live action footage that Neil created. So it's interesting. I wonder if you've grown from that visualization, live action treatment, or if it's still very much part of how you want to do a show, or yeah. what did you learn from that? I mean, we definitely learned from that experience that Halo holds up well in live action, right? I think after that series with Neil, um, we did a lot of our, our uh, um, marketing and TV ads and live action, um, played with some digital series. So I think it, it let us explore what it means for those sort of creatures in that world to come to life. Um, and so without being specific about what the TV show will look like, um, <laughs> I do think it, it proved a lot for us, right? And, and it helped us think about what, what real world Halo looks like and what's believable in live action versus um, in CG. And Amy, is there things that you, you know, there was a long development, it's still in development, they're still trying to make Uncharted into a movie. Yeah, it's been interesting to be on both sides of this IP holder thing, going from Uncharted, where we were trying to help a series of filmmakers um, uh, make, make a movie adaptation, and you know, since 2007, um, uh, to being on the, you know, the other side, working with the Star Wars folks, working with Lucasfilm. Um, and, you know, I think our tack was always exactly what you described, which is, you know, you have to, you have to be able to distill what it is, what's core to the, the franchise, and be able to then let it go. Um, but then be real candid and clear with filmmakers when you feel like, eh, you're kind of breaking the thing. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, the, all the resets on that, it never had anything to do with Sony or Naughty Dog. It was all their own Hollywood stuff. Business. Hollywood business. Well, that's what I'm like. Yeah. I guess my big question, the central question of this panel is like, mm -hmm. why make Uncharted into a movie? Why does mm -hmm. it, did it ever feel like it needed to be a movie? I, I feel like you were making a movie. And also, were you ever asked to direct the Uncharted movie? Because it seems like you'd be a good candidate for that. Yeah, no, no, I was never asked. Uh, thank you. <laughs> you <know. laughs> um, yeah, it was funny, right? I mean, like, it's I, I, kind of what Eddie was describing, that it's like there is this sort of perceived barrier and the prejudice about video game folks versus people in Hollywood. It's sort of like, okay, we got this now. You know, you, you make your little games, but we, we got this, you know? <laughs> but I'm seeing now as I'm going out and hustling and having a lot of meetings and, and, and stuff is that younger filmmakers, uh, younger production companies, they grew up playing games, yep. right? And so their attitude is far more inclusive and sort of blurry they don't have kind of these entrenched ossified ideas about you know who's worthy of doing this work so i think we're going to see a, a kind of a, a a revolution of folks who've made all kinds of media crossing the lines just because the technology is going to allow for it um so i think you know the old the old school folks are probably just gonna they're gonna be dinosaurs and 
You know, this, this attitude that those of us in games aren't capable. It's like, well, we clearly are. You know, how many Uncharted games have we made since, you know, they optioned the film and haven't made a film, right? Like, we're, we're okay at this, you know? It still like, works. Yeah. Uh, Addy, I don't know if you have anything to add about that, just like kind of old guard, new guard. Do you feel like video games are making an impression on Hollywood? Is that wall coming down a bit? I mean, does Castlevania, obviously Netflix is surprised that Castlevania did so well, I suppose, but. Um, yeah, Netflix was, was surprised. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know, it was also like, I, I was a lot crazier back then. I used to like walk around with like, you know, face paint and would, would make crazy videos and rants on the internet. So I think there was also that. They're like, and we're giving this guy a show. Um, Gamer. Right. Um, like, literally, I got a call from the Netflix PR person, like, years, this is years ago, saying, okay, please do not speak badly about Netflix on, on an internet rant. I'm like, oh, never do that. Um, but I, I think, you know, to, to Amy's point, um, I've never believed in the idea of convergence. I don't think convergence is a thing. I think things diverge. They get more complicated as time goes on. If convergence was a thing, then we'd just all be eating at all-American diners, and the pizza section wouldn't have spun off into Pizza Hut and high-end pizza and 99 cents pizza. That's bad for you. All bad for you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, don't, I, I think also Hollywood is getting redefined, right, by, by tech companies. Mm -hmm. So this old guard thing of we know better and we've got it and we're going to change, change it. I mean, Marvel has proved this wrong, right? Because Marvel is like comic book people mm -hmm. making something that's, that's far superior than anything that came before it. Yeah. Um, I don't think we are that, too, that far off from, from video game companies making their own adaptations. And by the way, these things could be live action but they can also be all made using the Unity engine, the Unreal Engine, right? We could, we could literally talk exactly about, it. like an Uncharted show can yeah. just be like in the game, just like yeah. kind of move the camera, like yep. you really, you know, it's storytelling. And that's what I mean by kind of the convergence. It's a technological convergence right. where with the, the advent of 5G and the fact that for the first time we'll actually be able to Trojan horse real-time interactive content right to a mainstream audience, that's gonna change everything, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And, and, and I think there could be some prejudices, prejudices that exist thinking like, okay, well there's gamers and there's non-gamers. I just don't believe that. No. Um, and that's kind of when I was talking about games being about conquest before. I think, I think to a mainstream audience who enjoys story and wanna be taken on a journey, this is about interactive experience. It's not about beating, right? We don't beat any other medium. We only beat games, right? And so we're sometimes very self-limiting in the way we think about our own craft. Um, but I think that's gonna change because we're gonna need to make content for this audience that probably doesn't even know that they're hungry for interactive content, but I think it's gonna want to look and smell and taste like the stuff that they're already familiar with, at least at first, you know? Yeah. Which is kind of what we were doing with Uncharted and Star Wars, right? Kiki, I feel like Halo, by doing a show, you're mm -hmm. pushing the entire franchise in that direction where the line completely blurs and Halo is this experience that, and, and story, mass story yeah. that you can invest in. So the interesting thing about the Showtime show is gonna be, you know, you have Halo Infinite coming out. Is this one universe? Are they gonna inform each other? Is there gonna be uh, connections between them to allow this kind of like 
big thing that non-gamers could also invest in, that they would want to yeah. come to Halo Infinite to continue that story. Yeah, I mean, I think I, uh, as sort of head of transmedia, I, I really look at it as sort of the broader universe and ecosystem. Like we, I would say with Halo 5, we did a lot of, we did books, comics, we did a, a sort of two and a half D animated series, short series. We did a lot of things around that specific story. And it was, it was almost too tight of a ball, right? We tried to connect things um, in such a way that A, it started to feel like you needed to participate in all of them to get all of it, which, which really wasn't the intent. It was meant to be where you could dig deeper if you wanted to, but still be approachable from, from different mediums. Um, but also when you try and connect things that tightly, it impacts the creative of all of them, right? You need them to be able to sort of grow creatively in the way they're going to in their own way. And so I think that thinking about it more is, um, you know, in some ways like a Star Trek where you can enter in different places and it can be very deep canon or it can be more uh, approachable entry into the universe is more of how I look about it. I'd rather have people in the universe than necessarily get them in here just so I can sort of move them into infinite because I, I need them all to be creatively excellent. It's not about converting people. No. It's about meeting them where they are. That's right. right. And it's interesting thinking about sort of the um, what is transforming Hollywood, part of it's technology, part of it is audience, right? They're trying to get to this audience that other mediums are able to get to, gaming being a big part of that, and they're trying to figure out how they do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what's super interesting about um, sort of Hollywood right now and the things that they're sort of trying to uh, connect to. Um, and we're figuring out purely on the game side the same thing, mm -hmm. right? We have, we have a, a um, younger, the younger audience, but we're also trying to understand all these new behaviors with that audience, which are and new for everyone's us. Everyone's trying to figure it out, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, uh, constantly surprised, what right? What do the kids do? Well, everything's do? changing, right? Yeah. That's what I was saying the other day to somebody. It's like, it's fascinating that we have these two mediums, which I think are gonna blur, but you know, we have gaming and we have linear media. Um, gaming is sort of doubling down on scope and size and complexity and, um, uh, you know, layers of interaction to a degree that I think is not only potentially even more intimidating to a main, this mainstream audience I'm describing, but even to longtime gamers who go like, oh my gosh, it's such a commitment. It's not a bad thing. I don't want those games to stop existing, but as we're sort of doubling down on games of service, right? It's sort of endless thing where it's just a storyteller. It's hard to know what to do with that, right? Meanwhile, you look at Hollywood, they're trying to figure out how to make it more and more bite-sized. So you've got companies like Quibi going, we're gonna have 10 minute episodes. You know, other things are like five minutes, you know, it's gonna be on your device, you can watch it when you, when you wanna watch it, it's not about the living room. So it's like, this, this divergence of that is fascinating to me, which leaves to me this huge gaping hole in the middle for people who do want sort of episodic interactive content that they can invest in, but they don't think they're investing 40 hours from the outset. There's a reason Netflix lets you do an episode at a time and binge, right? We're wired for that. I guess that's the question for all three of you, which is like, is Netflix, as a kind of Xerox of our streaming times, mm -hmm. um, is that the home for everything that we're doing now? You know, you could buy a copy of Halo years ago, but now you'll probably, you know, stream it maybe somewhere, or maybe whatever the next iteration is, is not even a game in the way that we know it, or 
how do you make shows, but maybe you make a game eventually. I don't know. Is ne and, and Netflix is the home for all of it. Is it is I, I don't. I don't think that? Netflix is the home for all of it, right? I think I think streaming as a, as a, as as technology, and as Amy pointed out, uh, with five G being being uh, on the way, and and uh, third world countries just all of a sudden getting access to this stuff because uh, now it's profitable to hand everyone on this planet a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think streaming is a is a big big future, right? And I think again, I'm not in your guys' industry, but I would I would think there's talks going on about like the subscription model, like a, like kind of a change the subscription model, <laughs> like uh, the 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 Fortnite yeah. free thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's probably like conversations that are that are ongoing. Sure. Uh, and I think Netflix is probably in in my industry a a, a early forerunner. Of to to make a Halo reference, a forerunner of of. <laughs> What what is to come, but I don't yeah I don't see it just being this blob that absorbs everything, like uh, like books and. You just books. described Amazon, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally Amazon. No, there will be never that. be a blob like that. But I mean, for for storytelling in this era that we're in, where multiplayer and battle around the living game is is so important, um, if you want to tell stories in the, using the game language, mm -hmm. where do you do that now? Or what, what? I mean, you could do it as DLC content within the game. Yeah, and you can do it in games. It's just that, the, you know, it's, it's, it's so interestingly divergent from something that is serialized and episodic, which means that you understand the bites that you're taking. Um, we, all of us have very little free time somehow. It's too many things demanding our attention. And so when you go, Red Dead Redemption is how long? Okay, you know, like, it's really hard to go. Like, it becomes a hobby rather than sort of you know, a night's diversion in a way, right? Um, uh, so, you know, my hope is is that we will adopt some of the psychology that we understand from from how linear media is streamed. But we've got this new thing that's gonna emerge again. I'm, the conversations I've been having around, you know, the inevitability of 5G, the inevitability of real-time content streaming. And real-time content means everything changes. I mean, right now, Netflix can only make a Bandersnatch, right? Because they, you know, you're streaming video and branching video, right? But that's very different from an Uncharted-like experience where you're actually, you have agency, analog agency over the experience, which then points you to this really intentionally crafted story moment, and then the world opens up again, right? Bandersnatch is the inverse of that. But I just think that people, some people in Hollywood and also I think people at home who don't know that this content can even, is even possible and at the fidelity we're talking about, I think it's gonna be a revelation when people realize this stuff can come right into their living rooms or right to their devices. Um, and that they can interact in it with it in a way that will probably be mind-blowing to them. We're jaded, but it'll be mind-blowing to this audience. Why don't we take a few audience yeah. questions if we have it. Uh, do we have, we have a microphone floating around out? There. Check one, two. Oh, perfect. I'll stand up too. This is, do I need to use this? Yeah, I can see you. Um, I, <clears throat> I have a question. Uh, you brought up Bandersnatch. Yeah. Um, so, at what point do games become movies and movies become games? And where does one have to be a linear? Uh, do I have? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you better, right. not, not a mic guy. Um, <laughs> you know, where a linear narrative is only a movie, you know, or an interactive narrative is only a game. Um, you know, yeah. Bandersnatch to me feels like a, a weird mingling of the two. But yeah, I mean, to what Ed's your, point, what's I, your take on it? I think that, you know, it's not like everything is going to converge and become the same thing. Like, you know, 
if you don't like interactive media, well, get over it because it's all going to be interactive. That's not what's going to happen. I think the problem with some of my Bandersnatch, and look, I mean, I don't want to imply, I'm, I'm so glad they made that and that they're trying stuff. Um, but for me, as a, as a gamer, right, the, and a TV watcher, the problem with it is that, like I said, I don't have agency over the, the, the part I want agency over. I want to be told an intentional story by someone who crafted it. Um, and I want agency to, between those points, not, not the inverse. And I think the problem with um, these kind of branching video things uh, is that it jerks us in and out of a passive active mindset as opposed to letting us get into a flow state. Yep. Um, so you go like, oh, that's right, this, I'm, I'm supposed to do something. Oh, okay, B, I guess. Let's see what happens, right? Um, so we want to we want to hold them in that 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 state, which is again when, when the way you try to break down the Uncharted experience, it was that that you know hopefully we never like had anybody put the controller down. Totally, uh, and I feel like Banner Smash was 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 interesting, and I think again it's an early forerunner in what what is now a a branch of the tree that can then branch off and like create more and more specific content like that. Um, as an episode of Black Mirror, it's, it was a cool experiment, right? Um, I think when it's when it's reviewed as a video game, it's it's not a great video game for for all the reasons Amy cited. Plus, yeah, uh, plus. Um, but you know when. So as as a one-off experiment, really cool. But as a video game, it's like okay, well, this is how is this not just a rudimentary version of Kojima Snatcher, yeah, which didn't. you should all play. <laughs> Only available on Sega CD. It doesn't move the needle, right? No, not at yeah. all. So, all right, we have another question. Yes. Uh, hello, my name is George. I actually had a different question, but I kind of want to piggyback on that uh, that question there. Um, so, we talked about Bandersnatch and its interactivity in TV. But what about games that kind of um, kind of are more like movies, like say the uh, the Quantic Dream games, like. Uh, uh, like, uh, wow, Detroit, mm -hmm. Become Human, mm -hmm. yep. which are, or any visual novel or anything like that, or, you know, which are more kind of interactive media. And, and yes, there's a game, but it's very much more storytelling. And every so often you interact with it. Mm -hmm. um, do you think we'll see something like that maybe on a, on a bigger scale, maybe even in the future, more on the movie side of, of that kind of experience as opposed to the game side of it? You, know you mean, I mean theatrically, or do you mean like movie at home like kind of hard length, probably scope and scale? Right, probably okay. probably movie at home type thing. I I think so. Look, I mean, Quantic Dream has been trying to figure this out for years, right? And I feel like they 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 hit a really pretty high bar with Detroit. Some of it was the fidelity, some of it was improvements in storytelling and dialogue and acting. Um, and you know, I've heard sort of just anecdotally from my friends that their you know their family members who are non gamers like definitely were you know, like attracted to this experience and, and wanted to play it. The, the problem we always have is discoverability, right? That it's like that, if it, was, if it was put through a streaming service, I think it would be, again, revelatory to an audience that doesn't realize that's possible, that kind of experience is possible. Um, but then it better not be on a, a gaming service. It better be coming right to your home. It's the Trojan horse thing again, right? Yeah. And I, I would add to that, if you look at something like which we've talked about, What Remains of Edith Finch, yeah. like there's amazing sort of a little shorter form than, than Detroit or a Heavy Rain that are so emotionally engaging and narratively engaging. Mm -hmm. And the biggest hurdle is people thinking, like people having to pick up a controller yeah. 
or get on their computer, and that creates such a hurdle in terms of approachability mm -hmm. when it is something that would so easily draw a broader audience into right. it. And I think what's going to change there inevitably, we just see it now just with PS PlayStation just announced even, you know, they use your, use your phone as a controller. Yeah. Um, we, we all have analog devices in our pockets that we're comfortable using. So we should be, again, in the spirit of Trojan horsing, right? We should be taking the device people already own, already can be an analog input device, and for this audience, replace the controller because that thing is too intimidating. Yeah. And that far more creatively interesting than a bandersnatch because it really is designed for yeah. that sort of interactive narrative, mm -hmm. I think. And, and like kids are growing up like yeah. learning iPads before learning English. <laughs> right, they're trying to yeah. zoom pictures and books, right? <laughs> yes. So bleak. I don't think gamer is even going to be a word. No, it's future. not. It's yeah. going to be like water drinker. Oh man, you drink water? Yeah. That's dope. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I only drink energy drinks. <laughs> That's what plants crave. Um, so you actually went some way to sort of already answering my question a little bit, because mm -hmm. um, it, it does seem to me that the big change, you, you know, between the, the, the traditional console sort of delivery and the streaming service isn't so much like, oh, it's gonna come through my internet as opposed to this like piece of hardware under my TV, because right. like Uncharted in the living room is Uncharted in the living room sort of regardless. <laughs> yeah. But like as storytellers, like all of a sudden if it's Uncharted on a bus mm -hmm. or something like that, like uh, how, how are you foreseeing that changing the manner in which you might um, deliver some of that, that storytelling? Like, uh, uh, is it necessarily going to have to account for the change in behavior that will come from that if people are playing it in these like real morsel bite size ways? Yeah, maybe. I mean, look, we already tried to design it so that even we were trying to like straddle this line between having it feel chapter based so it felt episodic, even though it was one contiguous experience. But also, we never really wanted the player to put the controller down. So we were glad when people said it's 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 the binging thing. We were glad when people said like, you know. I, I played the whole thing through in one sitting over the weekend, right? That was a success to us, right? Um, but I think the way we're consuming media is changing, especially when we look at, you know, younger folks, you know, um, and I'm old enough to say that, um, to, like, to, to be scratching my head and perplexed by, by young folks. Um, but uh, there's more expectation this stuff is going to be coming through their, their handheld devices. The only thing I worry about there is goes back to the phenomenon that we did see with Uncharted, which was I think we were privileged to see because it gives me an idea of where we can go is the fact that people's families enjoyed it as much as the person playing it. And it wasn't just that they were passively enjoying it like a show, they were actively, collaboratively enjoying it, saying, wait, don't go there, I think I saw something like, you know, if there's a treasure over there, wait, how are we gonna solve that puzzle together? Like, you know, talking, you know, talking about the, the unraveling, unfolding mystery like you would about a TV show, right? It Until Dawn had exactly the same phenomenon happen with it too, for the same reasons. Um, I wish we were designing for that more on purpose. It is literally the only game my girlfriend will watch me play. <laughs> I've been told that hundreds of times now. So again, I don't think this is anecdotal. I think it was actually a phenomenon that we should be, we should be designing deliberately toward. So my only fear about the designing for devices is it's isolating. Like as fascinated as I am about VR, there's, I have a pang about it because it's a very isolating experience. AR, for that reason, is almost more interesting to me because it's shared, right? So once you put it on your iPad or your iPhone, now it's just you, right? Hopefully, the idea is this, you know, it can suit all tastes and you can watch it how and where you want, right? Um, 
but the hope is is that we design it so it can be this sort of shared collaborative experience that's to me ideal we have any other questions out there hi uh, my name is Rhett uh, you had discussed a little bit earlier about kind of the old guard kind of fading out uh, in regards to adaptations. Dying off. <laughs> like me, you're dying off. Uh, yeah. Is it? Well, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't die off. They just well, no, got sent to jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's that. Uh, is, it, is there also something just inherent about video games that makes it harder to adapt than, say, a book or a comic book? Or is it truly just like we're just now starting to get people that are truly uh, fans of the source material that are able to make it better. I, I, don't, I don't personally think there's anything about a video game that makes it, I mean, and again, this is just, you're talking to one person, one perspective. Uh, I don't think there's anything about a video game that makes it harder to, to, to adapt, right? It's, um, if, if anything, it's, a lot of it's already laid out, especially if you're dealing with uh, an iconic character, like, like a Mario, like a, like, like a Master Chief. Although um, maybe it would be more difficult. I mean, I think a lot about, Halo becoming a TV show. Can it become Game of Thrones if when you want to send everyone back to read the books or Lord of the Rings? Everyone read the books after Lord of the Rings came out. It, with Halo, are people going to go back? It's hard to play the games and sort of go back to the oldest ones. But, but that, but that depends if it's like, you know, if, if it, it kind of depends on what the objective is, right? Um, I, I, think, I think the problem that I was kind of skirting around earlier, um, I think a better way to characterize it, is the problem was more of like a bottom line oriented problem. It's people going, what, are the, what is the book that sold the most copies? What is the comic book that the kids love? What is the video game that the kids love, right? Versus going, what are we creatively interested in, right? right. Um, I think it was almost like that mentality uh, was, was messing things up. And I think some of it is just having the humility to go, like, it's not an inferior medium, right? Yeah. So what I'm hopeful about is I see people like Jordan Vogt Roberts and Dan Trachtenberg, you know, you can see their love letters to the games that, they, that they've enjoyed. And now we're seeing more of this dialogue between gaming and movies yep. amongst creators. I mean, I was just laughing with somebody the other day about the fact that like we cribbed from Mission Impossible um, and then they cribbed from us and then we cribbed from them, like, because we're all mutually fans of each other's work. And so part of that is the fact that, you know, you love it. So if you're going to adapt into a film, maybe you should play the game. Maybe really, like, you know, understand why people love it rather than going, I'll get some coverage, right? And so it's that, the, la the hubris, it goes back to your first comment. Absolutely. Uh, and, and just to, to that point, I'm sorry to just eat up more time, like, 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 like for me, like it was important for me not to just all of a sudden, like now become the, the AAA junkie, right? Like just go like, okay, what, what are the biggest, biggest franchise going to jump on all of them. It's like, no, that's not why I'm trying to do this. Like, there, there's an indie game, an indie game that, that, that received a lot of love and acclaim, but not a whole lot of people uh, have, have played it. Um, that was made by like one dude who was super you know, passionate and I'm like, I wanna work on this. So what game? Come on. I know, I felt like you were you so can't close do that. to that. What the what game? It's, it's, called, was... it's called Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, no, but you know, it's it's also just 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 that you know, in the same way that back in the day, like uh, a director or a writer would like read a book and be like, oh my god, this book's amazing. Not, it's oh not my god, this book decision. sold yeah. Yeah. this book yeah. sold so many copies yeah. and they're seeing dollar signs like a cartoon. Yeah. yeah, you know, their eyes become a dollar sign. That's just not cool. <laughs> Key, I don't know if you have a final word on that or. 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think there is genuine passion on, not that there is offense, but both on the game and on the sort of Hollywood side to do something great together. And I hate it when people say, oh, you can never adapt a video game. No. It's like you can't look at past execution errors or sort of miss uh, poor intentions and say it can't be done. I think the intentions are there. These amazing worlds have been built out, right? So um, I agree with you. It's, it has to come from a place of loving the thing yeah. that it, it originally was, yep. um, which is what we work a lot with our partners on. I think that's all the time we have. So thank you to our panelists. I really thank you. Thank you again. And, uh, Thank you to TCL for sponsoring the panel, and uh, we really appreciate you coming out. Thanks. Thanks, everyone.